This is 4D with Demi Lovato. Whether it's combating racism, standing up for trans rights, or responding to the climate crisis, our guest today is here to remind you that you don't need to have all the answers, just the willingness to suit up and join the fight. Jamila Jamil is a writer, actor, host, and advocate. Her community allyship platform, iWay, is focused on mobilizing activism and shifting harmful narratives in the process. And their tagline perfectly embodies today's conversation, progress over perfection. Stick around for a conversation with my good friend, Jamila Jamil. The Ruby Slippers. They're some of the most iconic objects in Hollywood history. A rare collector's item, worth millions. And in the summer of 2005, a pair was stolen from the Judy Garland Museum in the small town of Grand Rapids, Minnesota. You gotta be kidding me. All she said was, they're gone. They were gone for about 13 years, until one day, they mysteriously reappeared. Finally tonight, it wasn't the wizard, but an FBI sting that turned up perhaps the most famous slippers in movie history. And it might sound like that's where the story ends. But actually, it was only the beginning. This is a story that doesn't fade to black. Welcome to No Place Like Home, a documentary presentation of C-13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio. Although the shoes were eventually recovered, there are more questions left than answers not just about the ruby slippers, but about Judy Garland herself. Please listen and follow No Place Like Home, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Jamila. Hi, how are you? I'm so good. It is so good to see your face. It's been way too long. You're one of my favorite people on the planet, actually. And so I figured I'd give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. I like to give my guests the opportunity to like describe themselves in whatever way they want. You can get as creative as possible or or not. <laughs> okay, I think I'm going to stay literal and just say that, hello, my name is Jamila Jamil. I'm one of the more divisive people on the internet. Um, <laughs> and uh, I am an actor, I am a writer, I am a host, and I'm also an advocate for many causes, mostly centering around mental health space. And I think I'm probably more known for my work within the eating disorder space. Uh, I have some very strong feelings on um, diet and detox teas that you may have come across. Oh my God, me too. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> You're normally so quiet about these things. <laughs> we both are. We're the most quiet people on the internet. What are you talking about? And just we're beloved, you know? We're, we're so just loved. beloved by everyone. <laughs> everyone, by everyone. Loves us. We're the only we're the only two people who have a hundred percent track record of just being adored. Unproblematic faves. We get it right every time. It's crazy, isn't it? Like we just we shoot and we score, Demi. No mistakes. Touchdown! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel so lucky. I feel so blessed. <laughs> you are such an advocate for for mental health and eating disorders. Why is that? And what made you want to become outspoken about those things? 
So I grew up around a lot of very mentally ill people. Uh, all my kind of uh, close and and uh, extended family members all struggled with severe mental health issues. And so that would be manic depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, uh, severe eating disorders. I saw everything by the mm -hmm. time I was about three or four years old and I became a, a care figure before the age of nine years old. And so I grew up surrounded by it, surrounded by people who come from a culture, you know, South Asians just really weren't and kind of still aren't encouraged to talk about our mental health because it's seen as some sort of failure on the part of your family. You know, mm -hmm. if you are, if you need therapy, then that's a sign that you're, that mental illness is so stigmatized over there. So there's something wrong with you. You're an untouchable and, and your parents failed you bringing you up. So people stay quiet about these things. And to the point where, I mean, you can't help but as a child start to absorb all of that stress and that pain. And so by a very young age, I myself was sharting, start, was sharting. I was sharting. <laughs> I was sharting. And that's the end of the story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was starting to show signs of mental illness and didn't recognize them until I was 27 because I'd been so conditioned by my family to be like, no, not me, because I'm right. strong, quote unquote. You know, mm -hmm. that's what I thought, not having mental illness was, was strength. And actually, I, what I realize now growing older is that almost everyone I've ever met in my life is struggling or has struggled at some point with their mental health. I just want to use my platform and all these gifts that I have to be the person that I didn't have growing up. And I've said this to you many times, but I wish that I'd had you around when I was growing up to look up to, but you're younger than me, sadly, um, <laughs> because you were like one of the first people with a huge platform who ever spoke out about these things, about eating disorders, about mental health, about addiction. No one else spoke about these things the way that you did with the candor that you did. You used to always blow me away when I used to interview you. And so you're a massive inspiration of mine to make sure that even if we don't get it right every single time, we do our best to make young people feel less alone in what they're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like I really related to you when I first met you. I was 16 and I was in London and... I remember we exchanged numbers and I was like, this girl is so dope. I want to hang out with her. It's been amazing to get to know you over the years, but then to be able to like have our friendship evolve into being able to call each other when we're struggling or when when stuff is going down on the internet and I feel like the whole world hates me. I'm like, Jamila's in my corner. <laughs> Totally, but also like we fight. We can fight yes, and yeah, get through it in a really like in a really grown up way. That part of our friendship in particular of how we get through debates yes. is one of the things that I value the most about you where there's such an empathetic approach to each other's like opposing opinion on something. And it's something that is so rare nowadays. Like so much discourse is around point scoring, especially online. And I feel like we always come at everything with each other with our hearts first. Yes. In the hopes of finding an actual resolution. Whereas I feel like very little discourse on the internet now is about finding a solution. It's about point scoring. It's about yes. shaming the other one for not coming at this from the right angle at first. Right. And it's about superiority. And I don't ever feel like that in our friendship. And I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that from you because I look at you as someone who, I mean, I really do look up to you as an activist and advocate for mental health and, and all these things. So it's funny to me when you're like, I wish I had you growing up. It's like, I'm glad I had you growing up because now I want to be the advocate that you are. And it's so important that we surround ourselves with people who we want to be like or aspire to be like because it just draws those 
better qualities out of out of ourselves. I think in this day and age of the cancel culture, you know, mm-hmm. what I think is so impactful is when I may post something or say something and if it rubs you the wrong way, I love that you can be like, hey, are you okay? Or what did you mean by this? And I mm-hmm. can be like, hey, this is where I'm coming from. We can talk. It's like, that's what we need to have is compassion and empathy for each other instead of you're done because you said something wrong. It's like we're all works in progress. A hundred percent. And look, I think there are huge, tremendous, overwhelming benefits to cancel culture because they are the only kind of real. It's so funny when people talk about freedom of speech being attacked. Ash Sarkar, who's an amazing activist, was recently talking about the fact that actually cancel culture is the only form of free speech that people who don't have money and who don't have power have. Oh, wow. Because, mm-hmm. And I think that that was such a perfect way of putting it when she talks about the fact that, you know, it's often like the people who are most complaining about cancel culture are, are powerful, often white, often men, uh, cis straight men who are complaining about cancel culture or straight, you know, women as well, I think we've seen in the, in the, um, in the media. And they're complaining about having their voices strangled because they're so accustomed to having always had the mic. Right. But I totally also see where you're coming from that we don't look at any discourse. Like we're so, I think the term is like shadow boxing, you know, when you're just so ready for everyone to have malicious intentions to the point where we no longer know how to separate ignorance from evil. We no longer know how to register whether or not someone is trying to actively harm others or us maybe, or whether they're just a product of their environment. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're in pain and they can't see their own pain to like, understand a constructive way to approach a subject. Yes. And so I think I think we would all be, we would all have an easier life, an easier time if we at least tried to give people the benefit of the doubt of maybe just not knowing any better rather than completely knowing what they're doing. Right. I think that that's oftentimes the pressure that gets put on us too when we are trying to speak up about something that we're passionate about. It's like, we don't have all the answers either. And another thing that I love about you is the humor that like you bring into all of these equations because there is something really healing about allowing yourself to laugh. Mm-hmm. We can we can laugh about how fucked up that that voice is in our head, mm-hmm. that eating disorder voice. We can laugh at that. Why do you think it's so important to tie in humor? to your activism? Well, look, it's not for everyone, but it's my coping mechanism. And it's um, how it's how I learned how to not always cry from all the pain around me was to make myself laugh or how to make, you know, to make other people laugh, especially the people in my family that were so sad. And so being the clown of the family was how I would be able to cheer them up or make them day or, you know, keep them on this earth a day longer. And mm-hmm. so I think that's my mechanism. And, and for me personally, I know that the things that have resonated the most with me in my life have been often comedy because it's the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. I love learning when I don't even know that I'm learning. You know, I like to make sure that I try and I'm getting better at this over time to point out how ridiculous the situation is to people rather than just preaching at them. Right. Of just making people realize, isn't this fucked up? Isn't this ridiculous that we, that Photoshop is, is a norm now? Isn't Facetune ridiculous? Isn't, you know, aren't, detox and diet drinks and etc and like mental health like and and racism and and all of these different things I'm not saying that all of these things are funny but I'm definitely right. more into pointing out like what are we doing what the fuck are we doing 
Right. How are we allowing this? How is anyone justifying this? And I think in mocking those things or finding the ridiculous in them, sometimes that can be an easier way to get through to someone. Yeah. Especially in such a combative world. Sometimes that's been an easier way in for me. And using humor in particular in my like eating disorder work, like when I made that incredibly disgusting diarrhea video of me pretending to be an influencer selling detox teas. Have you seen this video? <laughs> no, I need to see it. Oh, oh no. It's so disgusting. I'll send it to you after this. But I made a piss take of, you know, very <laughs> famous influencers if they did a realistic video of <laughs> of what a diet tea actually does to you. And so I do half of it on the toilet, shitting my heart out, like screaming no. and shitting at the same time. And that video went viral around the world. It was on the news in Japan, in India, in Australia. It went viral for like three weeks and had millions of views. And I managed to get Instagram to no longer show diet and detox products to under 18s, obviously with the help of other charities as well. But that video yeah. massively helped. So me being funny and silly about something that I feel very, very seriously about mm -hmm. made it travel so much further. And then yeah. ended up creating like actual policies globally that helped young people. Right. So I think humor is very helpful. I'll send you that video. You'll never look at me the same way. <laughs> Okay, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, I want to talk a, a second about working out. You know, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've had such a interesting relationship with exercise and working out. Um, yeah, for, for my whole eating disorder. Um, what you have done is you've reframed working out. You didn't say "fuck exercising, fuck working out." It's too triggering. Mm -hmm. Like you know, I have done in the past and I've wanted to do at times, you've actually turned it into how do we make this fun and shame free? Why was that important to you? And what did you learn from that? Because I didn't exercise after like, I got out of the worst of my eating disorder when I was younger. So after the age of 20, I didn't realize I still had an eating disorder. I thought I didn't just because I was eating a few things a day. I still have, I had an eating disorder for a good 20 years. But those first eight years in particular, I was very, very severely anorexic. And I would exercise almost as a way of purging. Like that was, I would mm -hmm. compulsively exercise. So after reaching my 20s, I realized I was like, oh, I don't have any control over myself when I start exercising. I use it to immediately see results. I look in the mirror while I'm exercising. I look in the mirror afterwards. I get on the weighing scale the next day. I had such a problematic view of it. And it was impossible for me to see it as anything I do for myself. It was always something I was doing for the approval of others. And I would not go to gyms because I felt like you had to turn up at a gym already looking amazing in like, you know, crop tops and tight <laughs> leggings. And so there were just so many different things that made me feel otherized from the fitness world and the fitness world has become so commodified and so exclusionary that it's really just so much about until very recently just thin predominantly white middle class privileged people uh already having very toned uh societally conventionally attractive bodies so last year during the pandemic i started to fall apart you know i was really struggling with my mental health i wasn't leaving my bed i was you know we were all locked inside and going for walks and starting to find fun ways to exercise was the first way that i started to actually develop a good relationship with exercise where i realized that the problem for me with exercise is aside from the many other things i've already mentioned is that exercise for vanity is very destructive but also it takes a really long time to see results from exercise so so you just end up eventually just giving up or you become compulsive with it. 
When you exercise for your mental health benefits, within 10 minutes of exercising, you get immediate results. You start mm-hmm. to feel more in control of your life. You have dopamine rushes. You have endorphins going around your body. Like you feel less stressed. You feel you're, you're going to sleep better that night. You're going to feel better and more in control. And so once I started to realize that, I was like, okay, fine, that's it. I'm going to ent- re-enter the world of exercise, but this time only for my mind. So no more tight clothes, all baggy clothes, baggy t-shirts, baggy tracksuits, no mirrors. I'm going to have a delicious sugary snack throughout my exercise to motivate me to do those squats or to do those like um, star jumps. I'm going to try and change the way that my community exercises and get people back into exercise because it's pushed everyone out, people with disabilities, yes. Fat people, brown people, black people, like all different people have been just left out of it because of commercialism and capitalism. So I want to bring all those people back in and be like, we're not doing this to look a certain way for other people. We're doing this to feel amazing right now. We're going to take our lives back together right now. We're going to eat toast with jam on it while we work out to disco music. And so on Saturdays on my IG Live, I have a personal trainer. We both wear baggy clothes. We listen to disco music. My dog is involved even though he doesn't want to be. And we eat like snacks and just have a really silly fun dance. And I get the most messages I ever get when I do it because people say they haven't exercised in 10 years because of how disgusting our exercise industry is. Mm-hmm. So that's that, that's where I'm at now. So I'm just not working out for weight loss at all. Good, I just good. Don't, I don't even have a full length mirror in my house. Wow. Okay, so that brings me to my next question. What does your ideal bathroom look like? No mirrors, Mm -hmm. no scales. What is that? What does it look like to you? I eat and food goes all down my hair. So I need some (laughs) sort of mirror. (laughs) I I need, like, it's crazy. It's like, I don't know if I'm actually swallowing anything I'm eating because it's just like this massive (laughs) shit down me (laughs) every time I eat. so I need some sort of mirror just to check myself before Honey, I Honey, I'm going to get you a hair tie. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I now really, I really like, understand people with beards now, the kind of the stress of that. Um, but I, uh, yeah, so I, I, I want a small mirror. I want nice, chill lighting that isn't going to make me examine my face. I don't really look in that mirror too much. And it's just not got too many products that remind me of what I need to fix in it. It's a very chill, simple, lots of fluffy rugs. And there's a snack in my bedside drawer nearby because mm. I have to eat the second I wake up. I need to have something sugary the second I wake up to motivate <laughs> me to face this horrible world. Um, so that's what my ideal mirror looks like. I don't have any, sorry, my ideal bathroom looks like. I don't have any full length mirrors in my house. I wear predominantly baggy clothes. Very occasionally I'll wear something tight or revealing, but it's not because I'm trying to make a statement for anyone else. It's just because I'm trying to take back ownership of my body, which has been really hard to do in this industry because this industry, especially with young people, really scrutinizes us to within an inch of our lives and as you and I both know we've spoken about privately many times you know it forces us to learn how to scrutinize ourselves and we become our biggest enemy right and so the baggy clothes for me whether I'm working out or not are just a way of me taking ownership back of my body and no Mm. longer making it a part of this industry to be able to scrutinize or judge me over and I can sit however I want and not worry about uh what anyone else is thinking about me. I'm just comfy. Yeah, I love that. You know, one thing that um, that helped when I was in treatment for my eating disorder was um, they didn't have any 
like regular mirrors in the entire facility. Mm-hmm. They had all funhouse kind of mirrors. So you could see <laughs> what your makeup looks like, but you could not you couldn't examine your body because it just <laughs> was distorted and that's you know, hysterical. Yeah, and it weirdly worked. It worked. And so that's that's also another idea that uh that could work for you too. <laughs> I think, yeah, well, it's the same thing when I decided to stop weighing myself. Like, it's really hard to let go of that control. And then when you finally do it, if you can break that habit, I think they say it takes something like 28 days to break a lot of habits. And so after 30 days, I finally woke up forgetting to check what I weigh, forgetting to check in. Like, am I allowed to feel good about myself today? Am I allowed to be happy? Am I allowed to eat today? Yeah, It was gone. Like, I'm free. I'm free of that. And I'm free of of looking at myself in the mirror all the day. Now I only look in the mirror first thing in the morning normally to, you know, I don't know, like put on some eyeliner or check that I haven't like spat down myself. <laughs> poor James, poor James, poor, poor James. Uh, and then uh, last thing at night to clear the hair, to clear the food from my hair and moisturize and exfoliate and shit. That's it. Throughout, throughout the rest of the day, there could be a dick on my face and I would have no idea, like a drawn dick. If there was a real dick on my face, I would like to hope... That I would, I'd be aware. I, th- I think you or would happy. know. I think Very you happy. would know. Lovely. <laughs> All good. Um, as, as someone that is so outspoken, is there something that you want to discuss more? Is there something that you feel like you haven't discussed enough? I think the conversation that I really keep coming back to in the last year is the ways in which we particularly demonize women how hard we are on women in the public eye, be them politicians, being athletes, look at how hard we have just been on Naomi Osaka as a society, Uh, celebrities, of course, royals. We really, really desperately need to recognize, and I think the Britney documentary went some way into highlighting what we did to one individual, but I don't know if we really recognize that just because not everyone is hounded in such an extreme way as she was in the 90s. It's more pervasive on the internet and it might not be cameras flashing in our faces all the time, but it's millions of comments or like trending hashtags telling us to kill ourselves or hoping that, you know, that we're over, like the leaving parties yeah. for certain people, like the the vitriol that people like AOC or Greta Thunberg or you or Taylor or like all these different people have to face online is just, is something that is very gendered in my mm-hmm. opinion. And, and that's also me saying that I completely see and, and, uh, identify you as non-binary. I'm just saying that until up until now, like, I think that, that when people identified you as a woman in particular, that, that added to, to the vitriol and this kind of like pattern of we, we take a, a woman in society, we put her on up on a pedestal and then we, uh, overexpose her to the point where people become sick of her face. And by that point, she then becomes primed for smear campaigns, taking her words out of context, creating inflammatory headlines. Mm-hmm. And then the, the world by that point is ready to bring her down. And then the way that we enjoy the fall of a woman, the way that we actually go looking for things to bring her downfall. We'll go back 10, 12 years through her tweets or or yeah. take interviews that she's done as far out of context and make them as inflammatory as possible. The sport that there is around the downfall of the woman. And then we destroy her. We almost make her cancel herself and step out of society. And then we move on immediately to the next. And it's just woman after woman after woman after woman. And, and before it used to be harder to spot the pattern because there'd be, there were so fewer celebrities, so fewer women in politics, so fewer women in sports who were big names. Mm-hmm. So we would only see this happen once every five, 10 years. 
Jane Fonda, Princess Diana, all these different yeah. people, Gloria Steinem. But now we have so many public figures, so many more women in power uh, in different uh, sectors of the world. Now it's happening so often, especially, you know, even to these young TikTok stars who are like 16, 17 years oh, old, yeah. that we're able to see the pattern and, and we have to be aware of it and we have to register that when we offer our algorithms, our clicks, our likes, if we add fuel to the fire, if we participate in these like vitriolic hashtags, we are funding patriarchy. Right. We're funding tabloid culture. We are the new tabloids. TMZ has no power. We are TMZ. Something that you said just like so just I had just had a visceral reaction to when you said that we cancel ourselves. That's so true. I think mm -hmm. that what people don't realize is that we live in a society that teaches us you go into the shampoo aisle of a of a of a grocery store or whatever and you go to the men's section and it's like you know everything's got sports grips and it's all about like conquering and but then you go to the female side and it's about like fixing your damaged, fragile, broken hair. And it's like, when we live in a society that teaches us we're broken, it's so mm -hmm. easy for us to just automatically cancel ourselves. And what people don't realize, if you've dealt with a mental illness or any form, any type of thinking that sends you into a shame spiral, the internet mm -hmm. doesn't realize they don't have to cancel us. They totally... I'm, no, I agree. It's important to stay accountable for sure and to understand these things. Totally. Because I recognize that I have been in a position that's had the microphone for for a long, long time. But yeah, I think it's important to to remember that we have so much um, judgment on ourselves already having dealt with eating disorders and things like that. And listen, my fear of it isn't like, you know, people, women who are politicians or women in the public eye, regardless of what they do, if they're a famous activist or a singer or an actor, whatever. We all have, we may have mental health issues and it's incredibly difficult and it's a very specific kind of pain when the world is like smearing your name, etc. But we have support systems. Yes. We have money for therapy. We have access to help. Yeah. We can step away and still survive. My worry is that kids are watching the way that we talk to each other, the way that we talk about celebrities, the way that we talk about women politicians. Kids are watching and learning this way of talking to each other, of talking about themselves. They are seeing less power in women. They are seeing leadership qualities in women and taking them as a threat or something that's bossy or ugly or bad, but attractive and empowering in a man. They are learning how to bully each other and themselves from what they're seeing play out in a mainstream arena. So while, of course, I totally fear for the likes of like Meghan Markle and all of these different people I'd already named, I'm worried about what it's going to do to the kids that don't have therapy, that don't have protection, the ones who, are, who we see statistically are killing themselves because of online bullying. Yes. When you participate in the bullying of a public figure, you yes. are participating in normalizing the culture that will lead to the death of a kid. Mm -hmm. And this is not to say don't criticize people, we should. Yeah. But criticize people with an actual end goal to your yes. actions. If you, if you want to call out someone, regardless of what they do, maybe they're a journalist, whatever. If you see that the thing you're calling them out for has already been said 100 times, 1,000 times, maybe 1 million times, why are you adding your same opinion to the masses? 
Mm-hmm. Why are you piling on? Then it becomes piling on. If you have a new perspective that hasn't been given yet and you don't see that in the comments, absolutely add it in a polite and like hopeful way, I think. Polite, a constructive depending on, way. Yeah. <laughs> even I'm not even polite all the time, but try to be <laughs> constructive. Be yeah. constructive. If it's already been said, if it's already fucking trending, if your opinion's already trending, are you piling on because you're actually trying to make an impact on the individual? Do you actually care if the individual gets better or changes? Or are you just trying to signal to everyone else, hey guys, I'm on the right side here. Don't worry, I'm still, I still fit in with the tribe. I'm against that person as vocally as possible. So you can all see that I'm, you know, I'm the right amount of like progressive. That's yeah. virtue signaling. So Add on, add your voice if you think it's actually going to make a difference to someone's perspective. Mm-hmm. Don't add on just to be part of something. Yeah. Oh, that's because true. you're, you're going to do harm and you're going to continue to normalize this bullying culture that we now see is making a huge impact in high schools. Yeah. And you and I both got bullied badly in high school and that was before social media existed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Can I you do, imagine? <laughs> I do feel like it prepared me for this life a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, Which shouldn't be the norm. No, it shouldn't. Um, no. What was it about bullying that changed everything for you? Because for me, it kind of gave me motivation to go after my dreams. And it kind of, I, I would say it was it was a huge catalyst for my activism in the beginning. That was the first thing that I ever spoke out about. Um, being on Disney Channel, I, you know, was kind of limited into what I could share about my own stuff. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, I could obviously talk about what was happening to so many people around the country. How did that spark your activism work and did it? I would say what it did was just make me feel very passionately about never letting anyone else feel as alone as I felt at school, as ostracized, never feeling as bad for being different. And so I think that one way in which it prepared me is that, you know, when I get otherized on the internet or ridiculed on the internet, I have some sort of setting that's prepared for that where I'm like, okay, I can, I know how to exist as an outlier. I know how to be different and how to keep pursuing what I know is the right thing and will prove to be the right thing in the end. People don't have to understand or like or believe me now. Yeah. In 30 years time, my work will speak for itself and I have enough confidence to know that. So I just keep going and they can have whatever opinion they have. I was also a little dick when I was younger who used to judge everyone. <laughs> like I can't, I can't, I was such a fucking troll. You know, I trolled <laughs> your peers. Like I, I don't have a leg to stand on and being trolled. If anything, this is my karma for being such a little bitch on the internet <laughs> you know, when I was younger. So I get it. I get being judgy about public figures that you don't know. I, I, I don't condone it and I don't condone my own previous behavior, but I get it. So I'm not here for anyone else's approval. But Mm. mostly I felt really, really sad and I felt really misunderstood. And so everything I say on the internet is me trying to speak directly to that kid who, you know, who may be out there who feels misunderstood or alone in their experience, who's judging themselves because they think they're the only one. I want them to know that I have fucked up way harder than you ever can. I've made more mistakes. I've been more embarrassed. Uh, I have, I've done it all and I'm still here. <laughs> we I'm both still are. here and I, <laughs> and I still have faith in myself to keep growing. Yes. That's the saddest thing about our society is that we have devalued growth. We don't believe in growth. We don't believe in change. And if you don't believe that another cap- another individual is capable of change, then that deep down means that you don't think you yourself are capable of change. The reason I am a progressive is because I believe other people can grow because I've seen what a little shit bag I was 
and how I have continued to evolve and become a better and better person every day. Am I perfect? No. But am I working towards it someday, one day when I'm 90, maybe? But I'm going to, can, no one can discourage me from growth. Right. And that is, that is something that we need to encourage more in young people today. On my podcast, we had uh, Dr. Deepika Chopra who explained that the way that your brain remembers uh, information and retains information best is from when you've made a mistake. That's when you do your best learning, where your brain most effectively captures and learns information. Mm -hmm. So if we don't allow people to make those mistakes, yes. small mistakes, harmless mistakes, not, you know, not serious, harmful, of course. horrifying. Those aren't mistakes. Those are acts of hatred and evil. But... <laughs> But when someone makes an innocent mistake, like we have to give them some chance to like work back from it because they've just grown and now we're going to waste that potential yeah. by cutting them off and yes. dismissing them and making them feel like it doesn't count for anything. Right. Let's make growth count again. You started an incredibly impactful movement, which I just like, ugh. It's so dope. I want to talk about Ai Wei because <laughs> I just, I love it. So Ai Wei is a movement I started by accident three years ago. I saw this picture of the, the women from the family of the Kardashians. And these are very powerful business women. They have created an, like an unprecedented empire. And there were numbers written across their body. And I was like, oh, I wonder what those numbers were. I wonder if it's their net worth. I am curious. So I clicked on it and it wasn't. It wasn't their net worth. It wasn't how many awards they've won or how many records they've broken. It was just their weight in kilograms. And once I clicked on that image of them, then pictures of you started coming up with your weight written on your, you know, mm -hmm. across your body and then Taylor and then Selena and then uh, like uh, multiple different women in this industry started coming up with their numbers written across their body. And I was like, all of these girls have done something really amazing and really impressive and why are there no pictures of men coming up and what they weigh and actually you cannot find a group of businessmen or any male celebrity with his weight written across his body it doesn't exist unless he's a UFC fighter that's the only time we care what a man weighs right so I just realized I was like wow god 20 years after I first developed a severe eating disorder we're still reinforcing the belief system that I had as a 12 year old that my worth in this society is defined based on a number on a scale. A number on a scale is still allowed to tell me if I'm allowed to feel good about myself today, if I'm worth anything, if I deserve respect or love or sex or care, mm. it's all determined by this fucking kgs. So I decided to write on Instagram, you know what I weigh? I weigh the sum of my motherfucking parts. I weigh my relationship. I weigh my orgasms. I weigh my bingo wings. I weigh my financial independence, my activism, my friendships, etc. And I posted it on Twitter. I had a very small following at the time. I didn't think it would do anything. And it just went so viral that within three days, 10,000 predominantly women had posted back what they weigh in the same kind of format. Oh, and so I started an Instagram account just so I would be able to leave it somewhere because I thought it was just a beautiful moment. And now here I am three years later, it's turned into a podcast, a YouTube channel, a company. Uh, we now pay for other young activists to platform like their own interview shows. We're a production company and we put out mental health content and it's become a full movement. And we are working on three bills at the moment to protect young people and their mental health. And... Uh, we have like almost one and a half million followers of like dedicated young advocates and activists who are all here to learn. And the premise of what I weigh is, and I feel really passionately about this, is that we're not here to judge you about where you're at. 
we're not here to make you feel bad about what you don't know about yet. There's enough of that on the internet. Right. We're just really excited that you're here and that you want to learn. And I'm stupid as fuck. And if I can learn and I'm learning <laughs> in real time on my podcast from people much smarter than me. And if I can learn, you can come and learn with me and we will all learn together and we won't judge each other. We'll just make each other feel really excited about our collective growth. And that's what it is. It's a safe space on the internet for people who want to become advocates, but maybe don't know all of the answers yet, or maybe they haven't met people like the ones that they want to protect. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. That's I love I love that Thanks. you're providing um, platforms for people to make their own content. That's so incredible. Yeah. So we, yeah, we started doing that last summer and, and I pay for the entire company by myself. It all comes out of the wages that I make from TV work. And so that pays for it because I don't want to answer to a man <laughs> or anyone else. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> so yes. I fund it all by myself. Yeah. Uh, wow. Because I want to. I want to be able to give platforms to people who have one thousand followers rather than only working with celebrities. As impactful as that can sometimes also be. Wow, that's so awesome. I love that. That's incredible. Thank you, and thank you for being so supportive of it from the very beginning. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I, I mean, every time that I say that, I aspire to be at your level of activism and um, advocacy work, like, it's it's very true. Well, then you know what? I've stopped calling myself an activist, Demi. Why? I've stopped. I have stopped. Because I think, and you can, t we can, we can fight. Uh, so I worry <laughs> that women, that women in particular, I think after like Me Too, but not just women, like celebrities, all celebrities, regardless of their gender, if they stand up against anything, if they make a stand, if they direct their platform and power towards something, we get given the title of activist very, very easily. But we're not in the grassroots, you know, we're not on the ground, like right. taking actual literal rubber bullets right. and risking right. our safety and getting arrested, not in the safe way that some celebrities go and get themselves deliberately arrested where they know beforehand that they're going to be released, et cetera, safely. No, I'm not dissing that. I'm just saying that's very different uh -huh. to a protester in Oregon getting arrested where they don't know if they're ever even going to be seen again. So I think that because of that, I want to chill on calling myself an activist because that's a very, very serious title that I want to try to give to those who don't have my power and protection, who are on the ground risking it all, whereas I'm doing this from a fairly cushy seat at the back. Mm -hmm. And so I call myself an advocate now where I know that I'm using my platform to shed light on what they're doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not coming for, I'm not coming for everyone and they're definitely like Jane Fonda and, and there are certain people like throughout this industry who really have just like, literally, she literally put her life on the line. Yes, she did. Activism. Yes, definitely. But I think I want to try and keep that very special title for those who are risking it all. That's my personal take on it. Oh, that's so, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. God, this is, this has been so much fun. And, and I love getting to talk to you. Just even. I love talking to you too. Even if it's just us in, in eating ice cream or, or on the phone, is, whatever it is. It's the funniest thing is like, I, you know, I see people who talk about you or talk about me or people like us on the internet and they think that we're so serious and like we take ourselves so seriously and that when yeah. we're like tweeting we're tweeting like with this sort of posture we're just like I have something really important to say that's gonna change the world it's like we're not we're just fucking we're just figuring it out and yes. we're just trying to do our best and we're trying to be helpful not always nailing it, not taking ourselves at all seriously, not considering ourselves the authority on anything. Yes. Just knowing that 
we all in the world, all of us, whether you have followers or not online, we can't wait until we are all experts and perfect on everything before we step in to help. You have to right. scrap in and take the, take the L when it comes <laughs> and just like wherever you're at in your knowledge, jump in and just try and fucking help. Get yeah. scrappy, get messy, embarrass yourself, but help, try. Yeah. Don't wait until you have a PhD in the subject that you're trying to help in. Know something, be careful, listen to those who know more than you, mm-hmm. platform them, yes. but get stuck in now. Don't be so egotistical and afraid of criticism that you don't, because jo- most of our peers don't join in the important conversations at all. And it's fucking disappointing because you and I know them in person and we know that they have strong opinions on these things and they don't say fuck all about it publicly. <laughs> and they don't, but they don't because they're worried about being, you know, about people seeing their real self. And I think what was really interesting about last year is that we saw a huge downfall in celebrity because people were pushed to open their mouths and we found out that, oh shit, the people that we loved who we thought were our unproblematic faves aren't perfect and they don't have the perfect answers for everything. And I think that's good. It's like normalized things. But I really want both celebrities and non-celebrities alike to realize that you have to check your ego at the door and yeah. you have to get stuck in and try and help and make change now because we are already way behind schedule and the world is in trouble and we all need to help as a collective and we cannot just pose and be silent in the hopes that people will project the perfect vocabulary and perfect thoughts onto us and imagine that we are these deities and saints that we're not yeah no we're we're definitely not you're so chilled and unpretentious and like fun and one of my favorite people to talk to (laughs) thank you if anyone can vouch for you not taking yourself too seriously it's me like you have a great sense of humor about all of this but also an incredible understanding of compassion and how change can really happen well, that's just it. I actually want change. I sometimes wonder if some of the people online or in this world or journalists, do they actually want change? I know. Or do they just want a fight? Like, do you actually want things to get better? Do you believe in things getting better? Because what is the point of activism if we don't fundamentally believe change is possible? Right. Why are we out here fighting if we don't think that people are capable of becoming better? And right. if things aren't capable of getting better? Right. So I just have a lot of hope. Maybe Good. I'm naive, but... I think you have a very healthy outlook on everything. I want to have conversations that are hopefully going to help elevate humanity into the next dimension and mm-hmm. you know, help raise their So quite their small and chill. Yeah, yeah super chill. chill. Very chill. I don't take myself <laughs> seriously at all. So because we're elevating, we're elevating humanity. Gotcha. Okay, Elevating go humanity in their consciousness. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I basically I just want to have conversations that are are very important and um and that's what uh, living in the fourth dimension means to me. What does living in the fourth dimension look like to you? Okay. First of all, I think we need to get back to, I mean, on our way to the fourth dimension, we need to get back to the third because I feel like we're living in a second dimension where we look at people as quite binary and quite flat and just one oh, thing. Oh, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we, 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 we look at people, we dehumanize each other. I'm not talking just about public figures. We dehumanize each other and we see yeah. it online and mm-hmm. we like to put people in boxes and categorize them, etc. So we need to get out of the 2D just to get back to being human fucking beings Ooh, because wow. I feel like we're losing our humanity and we're losing our humanity because we're in pain because we've been treated so badly or we're mm-hmm. afraid. These things all come from very humane, human places, but... I would like for us to first 
become human beings to each other again and listen mm -hmm. to each other and stop projecting our own fears or hatred about ourselves onto each other. Mm -hmm. You know, just start to meet people where they're at. And then I think my ultimate goal to move beyond that is a fourth dimension. <sighs> Let me think. I mean, for me, and this isn't a particularly profound answer, but it's us making mental health the priority of our world. Obviously also saving the world with climate justice, but, and the two are you know, intrinsically linked, but prioritizing the mental health of ourselves, of the next generation, of one another, seeing it as the most fundamental core reason to exist is to improve and work on and elevate our mental health seeing that as the crux of what we are worth, no longer looking just at material goods or thinking, I'll be happy when I'm thin, I'll be happy when I have that car, I'll be happy when I have this many friends, mm -hmm. or when I look like I have this life on Instagram, moving away from all of that, enough TikTok followers, whatever. And actually looking at success being happiness, mm. like being the road to happiness, whatever happiness you may be able to achieve within the parameters of your life but us really making that our goal and having that conversation all of the time in a non-stigmatized way. I never ever wanna see a young woman who is an athlete speak out and say that my mental health is being damaged by these like parasitic press junkets that I have to do the second I walk off a court. So I'm gonna mm -hmm. pay the fine and not do it and then be clowned by the world and called weak and be dismissed and laughed at and called a liar and gaslit and never wanna live in this world again mm -hmm. where this is how we treat people. That's where I would like to move, where mental health is our priority. It's our driving force and it's the end goal for mm -hmm. all of us. That was such an amazing answer. I love just trying to get back to 3D before we even get to 4D. I know, I know. I mean, that really is it. Like, I think we're so far away from 4D right now because we've rolled on back to 2D. And so, so we'll see, we'll see. But you know, it's yeah. everything that I'll keep fighting for for the rest of my life. Big old annoying loud me. <laughs> well, I'll be right there with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love you. You're so awesome. Thank you for coming on here. And I hope to see you extremely soon. Is that a thing? Oh no, we're done Very here. Soon. We're done here. <laughs> No, we're done. <laughs> I never want to speak to you ever again. <laughs> this is what did it. This is what did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'll see you soon, my love. All right. I'll see you later. Bye.